Hello. Welcome. Uh, my name is Eddie Bang, and I am the pastor here at Full Life Ministry. It's wonderful that you could come and tune in with us today on this Sunday afternoon, especially if you're not a member of Full Life, we welcome you. I know there's a lot of uh, podcasts, there's a lot of live streams that you could be tuning into, uh, but thank you for taking your time out to tune into ours, and you know, especially when this whole COVID situation is over and when you know, the government eases restrictions so that churches can meet once again, we'd love to have you join us at Chalora Public School. We'd love for you to worship with us. It's just a joy. Um, so thank you once again for, for tuning in with us and so that we can just worship God together. Today was very special because we had our full band today. I don't know if you enjoyed it. I think the room was just lit with, it was magical here. And so I hope you enjoyed it at home. I hope it came through at home because it's an absolute joy just to worship. Uh, and so I'm just really thankful that we have such an amazing band like that that we can worship with as well. So happy Mother's Day. I didn't want to miss that. You know, I woke up this morning and I, and I, I almost totally forgot, but my, parent, my kids <laughs> reminded me that it was Mother's Day. They ran into the bedroom and they're like, happy Mother's Day. And so it was absolutely wonderful. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers who are out there. You guys are the true heroes. You know, you guys are the ones that does all the work that nobody sees and cleans all the diapers that nobody wants to. And so thank you guys so much. You guys should totally be celebrated. And so I'm glad this day is set apart for you. So happy Mother's Day. All right, let's get into the Word of God today. It comes from Matthew 5.13. I decided after we were done with the Beatitudes, why don't we just continue the Sermon on the Mount? And so we're going to go toward to the next verse, which is Matthew 5. 13. So let's turn to that together. If you don't have it, it's probably going to be on your screen. Matthew 5, 13. The Word of God reads, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we can just worship you. We thank you for this church and this ministry Father, where you are doing some amazing things, and not just within our church, but even outside the church. Lord, we thank you for the ways you're using this live stream to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for your spirit that's constantly working upon people's hearts and lives so that they might find you and know you, even especially during this time. And so we just want to praise you for that. We just want to give you all the glory for that. And Father, at this time, as we study your word together, we just want to enjoy you together. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us in a way that we would not just understand what you're saying, but we would want to live out what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the first time I ever heard that phrase, salt of the earth, was not actually at church, but in a movie. And in the movie, someone said a line like this. They said, hey, what is that girl's family like? And the answer, someone responded by saying, oh, they're the salt of the earth. Salt of the earth, man. And I'll be very honest with you, uh, I had no idea what that phrase meant. Uh, but you could just tell and you could just feel that that phrase is describing people who are like way better than just good. And so I quickly looked it up in the dictionary and sure enough, that's exactly what it, it kind of means, you know? If, uh, I know? For a lot of you who may have grown up in the church, you probably heard this phrase many, many, many times, right? So many times, in fact, that the sheer ridiculousness of what we just read probably just went way over your heads. It went right past you. You didn't even see it. You didn't even think about it. 
But this is what I mean. You see, Jesus preached these verses very early in his ministry. This is like one of the first things that he ever does. And he's preaching to his disciples. And now what you have to realize about his disciples is that these guys were poor and they were uneducated people. Uh, They were outcasts and they were kind of like nobodies in society. And maybe more importantly, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, they had done nothing. They had done absolutely nothing in ministry. But yet, Jesus comes along at the beginning of his ministry and he declares right off the bat that these poor, uneducated nobodies who have done nothing up until this point are going to accomplish a task that's literally going to change mankind forever. And that, to me, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Right? That... That's a whole lot of faith that Jesus is putting into these guys, isn't it? And when you realize that, it kind of changes the way that I see, I kind of read these verses. And when I read these verses now, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, hey, I believe in you guys, even though the world doesn't. And I saved you so that you can impact and change the world. The world may not see you guys in that way, but I totally, completely see you guys in that way. And you know what's crazy? They actually did. These guys lived out this identity so powerfully that they went on to change the world. I wouldn't be here standing preaching to you right now if these guys didn't live out this verse. You would not be tuning in to this live stream if these guys hadn't accomplished what they accomplished, right? God used them to impact the world forever. And it makes me wonder. And so when I think about that, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if we live out this same identity and purpose that Jesus declared them to be and Jesus believed in them to be. If we live that out, that exact same identity and purpose, I wonder who might be in the church tomorrow because of our faithfulness to the calling. So what did Jesus declare upon them? And what did he, you know, declare them to be that actually caused them to change the world? Let's read this verse again, and let's find out in Matthew 5.13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, it's obvious to me that if we're going to understand this verse, we need to understand what Jesus meant when he declared them to be salt. I know that sounds like, hey, I know what salt is, but... Uh, what, did, what was salt like 2,000 years ago? What did they know salt to be? And what does it mean to be salty? So let's you know, travel back in time, maybe 2,000 years, and let's see what salt meant to them back then. And I think when we understand that, it'll give us a lot more insight as to what Jesus was actually declaring upon them and who de- he declares us to be. You know, back then, salt was actually mainly used for three things. And the first thing that it was used for was to be a preservative Okay. There was no such thing as refrigeration back then. There were no like, you know, kimchi fridges or any of those things back then. And so if you had a piece of meat, which is very, very valuable, and you wanted to keep it for a long time without going off, there were only two ways that you can actually preserve this meat. You had to either take a lot of salt and mash it into this and cover literally like every millimeter of it like very thickly, or you had to just immerse the piece of meat in a very heavily salted solution. So it was a preservative, right? Secondly, it was used as a flavoring. And just like a lot of us, we have salt on our dining tables. Everyone knew that just a little bit of salt on a piece of food, almost any food, 
will just bring out the flavor of it. And so salt was used as a flavoring. And lastly, believe it or not, it was used as a currency. A lot of Roman soldiers were paid not in money, but in salt. And if you didn't know it, that's where the word salary comes from. It's the Latin word that means salt. So when Christ preached that, you know, we are to be the salt of the earth, what he's saying is that if we live, live out these three identities, then God is going to use us to change the world. But among those three, the primary one that he wants us to live out is to be a preservative, okay? So let's talk about that first. What does it mean for us to be a preservative? You know, if there's anything that the Garden of Eden proves to us or proved to us, and if there's anything that the Garden of Eden has totally shown us, it's that whenever mankind chooses to live apart from God, he just goes toward sinfulness, right? You know, anytime mankind chooses to live apart from God, you know, they're going to become increasingly sinful. And if nothing's done about that, then you know what's going to happen to mankind? Mankind is going to become progressively uh, progressively, they're going to progressively advance towards moral and societal decay, right? If I can say that very simply, the world will progressively rot in its sin. So when God, or when Jesus calls us to be salt, he's saying that our purpose is to preserve holiness in this world. He's calling us to be a purifying agent. And so not only do we need to hope and pray that this world comes to know Jesus, but we also have to act and engage in this world in such a way to prevent it from going off, right? You know, in the last few centuries, Christians have actually had a very positive impact upon society. Did you know that most of the hospitals that we see today in this world were begun and built by Christians. You know, the Red Cross, started by an evangelical Christians. Most of the universities and colleges and orphanages and adoption agencies, these were mostly started by Christians. Every, every time there was a great movement in, in society, most of them were started by evangelical Christians. So historically, Christians have had a very huge positive impact upon society. However, in today's modern Christianity, um, I think we're seeing somewhat of a horrifying trend. Um, there's this pastor and professor of sociology, his name is Daniel Moberg. And you know, he, spends, he spent his whole life, and he still spends his life, trying to combine the, you know, our faith and social action together. And he's a huge proponent of that. And he wrote this book called Inasmuch, and in this book, he cites 10 reasons why the church has stopped having a positive influence on society today. And so I'm just going to name the top ones for you. And he writes this. Number one, Christians would rather spend time debating theology than getting socially involved, right? Number two, they believe that social concerns are antithetical to the salvation part of the gospel. It's as if the whole love your neighbor part doesn't exist, you know, Christ is only about salvation, but it's not about changing people's lives. This is ridiculous. You know, they're only concerned with personal piety. And for some reason, a lot of people who go to church today are only concerned about their relationship with God. And they don't look outwards and, and see what God's doing in this world and the needs of this world. Uh, they believe that politics are intrinsically dirty. And lastly, they've become exactly like the world when it comes to business and politics. You know, and so when I look at that list, to me, it's describing a Christianity that's very insular. 
you know, one that's very self-focused and maybe even self-promoting. And to me, that's not, the, that's not the Christianity that Christ commanded us to live out, is he? Because it's obvious from this verse that the kind of Christianity that Christ has commanded us to live out is one that takes us out of our Christian circles, engages the world, engages its sinfulness, confronts its sinfulness, and then moves it towards holiness, right? If we are going to be salty, and if we are going to be a preservative in the world today, then we need to be intentionally stepping out of our Christian circles and stepping into the world without becoming like the world and then influencing people through our relationships towards Christ and towards holiness. You know, I had a friend in uni, um, and she was part of a sorority, and that sorority just was known for partying. And I tell you, my friend, she could party <laughs> like the best of them. She was like the queen of partying. Anyway, good news. Uh, the second year of uni, she came and she met Christ. She accepted Christ and she gave her life to Jesus. But immediately, she t- I remember her telling me, immediately she was confronted with the fact that her life and the lives of the people that, you know, in her house, uh, they lived their lives in a way that definitely did not please God. And so she was confronted with this decision. Should I move out of my house and try to live for God or should I try to live as a Christian within my sorority? And she decided to live in that house and to continue to be a Christian in the house. And just like she expected and just like she feared, she encountered a lot of persecution, a lot of ostracizing. You know, she was judged all the time and, you know, she would share at church how they would make fun of her behind her back all the time. But we were so proud of her because she stuck to her guns. You know, she remained faithful. And through all that, by the time she graduated uni three years later, the house and that sorority that was once known to be the party sorority now became known as the sorority that does community service, that's heavily involved with community service. You know, they partied a lot less. Partying's not that bad, but they partied a lot less. Um, But one thing that was definitely for sure is that the moral and ethical atmosphere of that sorority was completely elevated. And the greatest part about it was that many, a, a handful of people, a handful of her housemates, a handful of her roommates came to Christ as well. And when I think of her, I think that's salt. You know, that's what it is. She not only stopped the decaying of that sorority, I mean, she completely turned it around. And to me, that's what salt does. You know, did it cost her a lot? Yeah, it costed her a whole lot. But so many lives were changed and transformed as a result of her offering and her sacrifice to Christ. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that in order for salt to have impact, it's got to be out of the salt shaker. And it's got to be penetrating the world in order for for Christ to have an impact upon it. Right? So... If you wanted to preserve holiness in your world, to which people do you need to dissolve into and maybe even die to so that they might know the holiness of Christ? Because that's what salt does. And that's why Christ called us to be salt in our world today. Salt means preserving holiness, but salt also means being flavoring, right? We talked about that. You know, there are two types of people in this world. I don't know if you know, but there are two types of people in this world. There are people in this world who eat to live, and there are people in this world who live to eat. 
And I don't know if you can tell on the camera, but you know, when you look at my figure, I'm the latter. I love food. <laughs> you know, I, I just love food. I don't understand people who just eat for the essential nutrients. You know, I just need them in my body so I can function. I don't understand those people because I eat food for the pure pleasure that food brings us. Right? Amen. Uh, and and so, so what I don't understand, and so oh, not, I understand it, but this is what I hate as a result. I, I hate eating food, or I hate getting full on food that tastes bad, right? That's like the worst experience in life. I hate getting full on food that tastes bad. And anyway, you know, the, um, one time a friend of ours brought over a soup because they wanted to give our family soup, and I was so thankful for it. So, you know, I open up this soup, and I, and I, and I take it out, and I put it into bowls, and I serve it to my family. My wife, who is more of an eat-to-live person, she just started eating it. So I said, oh, it must taste really good. But the moment that first drop hit my tongue, I knew <laughs> this thing needed some salt. You know, it needed some more flavor. So I just took like a, a teaspoonful, and I just put it in, and I started mixing. And the transformation was absolutely radical. And it was so radical that I turned to my wife, and I said, dude, you got to taste this. You know, and so she's like, okay, whatever. And then she, she puts it in her mouth. Her eyes, like, you know, open up really huge. She's like, oh, my goodness. And before she could even say that tastes so good, she was already reaching for the salt herself. You know? Her encounter with salt totally made her hunger for salt in her life. And I really believe that's the effect that Christ is calling us to have as Christians in this world, right? You know, I believe that when Christ calls us to be salt, he's calling us to bring flavor into a world that I think personally exists with a lot of flavorlessness, right? And this is what I mean by that. You know, I kind of, as I thought about it in life, I think the true flavor of life is purpose, all throughout history, mankind has been looking for their purpose in life. And it doesn't matter what race you're from, what culture you're from, what background, what socioeconomic status, everyone is always searching for their purpose. And the sad reality is that not many people, I think, find it in their lives. And so how do they exist? I think they exist every single day convincing themselves that who they are and what they're doing is enough. But deep inside, there's something about them. They know that there is something clearly missing within their lives. Now, for us Christians, we know what our purpose is, or at least what Jesus told us our purpose is, and that's to worship God, and that's to live for God, that's to enjoy God forever. That's what we were created for. And if that is what, if Christ is what gives us true joy and satisfaction in this life, then when Christ calls us to be salt in this world, he's saying that when people encounter us, it should make them thirsty for what we have. You guys get that? You know, I mentioned last week that I used to work for Apple 12 years ago. And I was in chats with Chase one time, and there was this Christian that worked there. And uh, he and the manager, who was a female, they were having this conversation right on the sales floor that day. And they were talking about marriage and divorce and all those things, and it was kind of an ordinary conversation until they got to the aspect of commitment. And all of a sudden, this manager asked this, this Christian, so how is a Christian's commitment to his spouse different than a non-believer's commitment? And then this Christian said, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but my commitment to my spouse because of Jesus is to make her everything that God created her to be, you know? 
God created her to, be, to have these talents, to have these passions, to have these visions. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure she becomes everything that God creates her to be, even if that means it's at the cost of my dreams and who I am. You know, and we, I believe that's what God meant for us to have for each other. And I'm watching this conversation, and, out of, and all of a sudden, the whole mood changes because the, the manager just starts crying. Now, why did she start crying? Simple. Because she just had an encounter with salt, right? I mean, this dude brought God's flavor into the workplace, you know? Not only was he so excited to live according to God's righteousness and God's goodness in his own life, but his joy, he couldn't share the joy of God's design behind marriage with everybody or with anybody. And because of that, there was such a powerful influence that happened upon that floor. And as a result, this manager's soul got touched with eternal truth. I mean, she not only heard it, but she saw it and she felt it in this guy. And for me to witness this, this was like one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. You know, that's salt. You know, Christians, we got to be people who are truly satisfied by Christ alone. This world is at stake. You know what I'm saying? We got to be people who are truly satisfied by Christ alone. We need to live so committed to him that we deeply experience and know how great that he truly is and the joy that it truly it brings to our lives just for living for Christ. And when we do, we will be the flavor of this world that this world is hungering for and is searching for, and we won't have any hesitancy or any shame in declaring that. Sure, as a result of our passion for Christ, as a result of us living righteously for Jesus, a lot of people are going to get offended. Yes, that's true. But for others, Jesus is declaring in this verse that it will make them thirsty for God. Why? Because that is what salt does. And that's why Jesus calls us to be salt. So let's be Christians who love Christ so much and who love living for Christ so much that we make people thirsty for Jesus around us. Lastly, salt is valuable. What does it mean for salt to be valuable? You know, I, quite honestly, I don't know if there's a biblical answer for that. But Jesus writes something in this verse that kind of gives us a hint at that. And he says, it's, if salt loses its saltiness, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And so if I can sum up what he's saying, he's saying that if we're not salty, then we're no longer valuable. And that's pretty difficult to swallow, you know? Because he's, he's essentially saying this. He's saying, look, I, I died for you. You know, I literally sacrificed myself upon the cross so that you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. I completely gave myself so that you could have this new life and you could have this new purpose in me. But if you don't live this, if you don't live out this identity, then you prove to be useless to the kingdom and you prove to be, your worth is basically enough just to be thrown out and trampled by men. And to me, that's not just huge, but that's harsh, right? I mean, wow. Well, how can God say that about us? But it's true. Now, just to be clear, he's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. But what he is saying is that it's very possible for you to be useless to the kingdom. And quite honestly, I don't know which one's worse, right? They're both really, really bad 
aren't they? But that is how serious Jesus is about us being salt, right? But here is the good news. Out of all this negativity, here is the good news. Jesus asks this interesting question in this verse. He asks, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And I know, you know, for all you science geeks out there, you know, you're thinking, hmm, you know, salt can't lose its saltiness, right? Every time you put Na and Cl together, whether it's in nature or in a laboratory, it creates a lattice structure that can never lose its saltiness. So, aha, you know, Jesus is asking a trick question, you know. Sorry for the voice. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it just comes. Anyway, um, scientifically, you'd be right. You should give yourself a pat on the back. But historically, you'd be wrong. Because everyone in this audience, they tasted salt that ceased to be salty. How exactly is that the case? Well, you know, salt was harvested from nature back then. You know, when, when, when the, 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 the Dead Sea and, 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 and those seas, they dried up, they would just gather the salt. And if salt was too contaminated with dirt and mud and sand and other contaminants, then it ceased to be useful as salt. It's... It, it wasn't salty anymore. And so the question is, how do Christians who are designed to impact and change the world lose their influential power? The answer is when he or she has been intermingling with the dirt of the world and have become oversaturated with the contaminants of this world. You know, the main reason why we Christians cease to be salty so often is because we've fallen in love with the world. We've fallen in love with the things of this world, its values and its practices. And therefore, that which distinguishes us from the world, that part of us that brings the holy flavor of God into people's lives, that essence that, the, you know, that, that infuses this world with purity and holiness and the righteousness of God that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, that part gets drowned out by our love for this world. And so Christ asks this question, can salt that has lost its saltiness be made salty again? And scientifically, once again, the answer would be no, but spiritually, the answer is yes. Jesus wouldn't ask this question if, if, it, if it wasn't true. So the question is, how do we become salty again? And the answer is by simply turning away from our sins from separating ourselves from the contaminants and choosing to live for Christ alone. In the church, we call that repentance, which is a complete 180, a complete overhaul, a complete turnaround of how we've been living, right? And once we do that, the moment we make those decisions, the moment that we set our hearts and our minds and our lives to live for Christ and his glory alone, we become useful. But more importantly, we become valuable once again to Christ and the kingdom. You know, Christ saved us to be valuable. And just like I said in my introduction, you know, please be encouraged because this is who God believes that you are. It doesn't matter how you look like today. It doesn't matter what you're going about in your life today. This is who God believes you to be. And the moment you believe it and begin living this way, God is going to use you to change the world. Right? That is Salt. So let's live 
as salt. Let's step out of our comfort zone. Let's engage the world. Let's be a purifying agent that influences people around us towards holiness. Let's find our true satisfaction and joy in Christ alone and flavor this world with it. And lastly, let's separate ourselves from sin and make ourselves valuable to our King. Let's live powerfully as salt today. I want to end my message with uh, one last simple observation. What I love about this passage is that Jesus didn't call us to be the gold of the earth. You know, he didn't call us to be the best of the earth. He didn't call us to be the most rare. He didn't call us to be like the majestic mountains of the earth. He called us to be salt. Salt is so common. It's like in every country, every culture, every home, every table, we all have it. It is not only common, but it is small. Jesus is calling us to be the smallest and the most common of substances. But it's that that I love the most about this verse. I know it sounds a little insulting, but I love, that's actually the part that I love the most about this verse, and this is why. You know, a lot of times we think that to be effective or to have impact, a lot of times we think we need to be impressive in some way. And so a lot of us, as Christians even sometimes, we spend our lives trying to be better than somebody else, trying to excel other people, trying to be above and beyond what other people are, you know, trying, trying to outperform others, and we, we spend our lives doing that. But when Jesus calls us salt, what he's telling us, it's like, it's like Jesus saying, no, it's not those extraordinary things that I'm calling you to. It's not those extraordinary things that I'm going to powerfully use to impact the world. But you know what it is? It's going to be the common things about you. It's going to be the small things that you do for me that I'm going to use to change the world. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's absolutely liberating. It's absolutely liberating because it frees me to be myself. It frees me to be who God created me, me to be. And I don't have to try and be someone else that I'm not. I don't have to try to be better than somebody else. But God is saying that he created me to be uniquely myself. And it's going to be the common things about me and the smallest things that, and every little thing that I do for God that he's going to use to impact the world for his glory. He's going to do the impacting. He's going to do the flavoring. He's going to do the, the preserving. All I have to be is his, completely and commonly. Let's be salt together. Let's pray. You know, salt has no effect if it's in the salt shaker, if it's still in that salt shaker, you know? It's got to come out. It's got to dissolve into food for it to have impact. The most encouraging fact of this passage is that God is going to do the flavoring. He's going to do the preserving. He's going to do the impacting. All we need to do is to be willing to give ourselves completely for him. So will you do that today? I love that it says that it doesn't matter how you've been living up until now. This is who God believes in you to be. And if you simply turn from your sin, give yourselves completely to Christ, and live, to, live out the identity that Christ declares you to be, he will use your life to change the world. The Beatitudes were never meant to be lived inside the walls of a church, right? All of these commands carry a sociological mandate for Christ. 
So let's engage this world together, knowing that all we have to be is who God called us to be. And when we live for him and his glory in that way, he will use us to change the world. I wonder if we simply live out our identity and purpose that God declares us to be and believes in us to be, who might be in the church tomorrow as a result? Let's pray Let's surrender ourselves to the Lord and let's just give ourselves to be salt for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we just come and we just pray that you help us, Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us, God. Help us to turn from us. Help us to love living for you, God. We pray we'll be in such a way that we just love love living for you, God. Love wanting to be with us, God, in every single way. Lord, give us the courage to step out of our Christian circles, step out of the church, and to engage in the world, engage in the darkness, engage, God, in this flavorlessness so that they might see that true purpose in us, that joy in us, God, the satisfaction in us, God, that will make them thirsty for Christ. And Lord, we pray that you'll do that, Lord. We pray that you'll do that, God, so that people will come to know you. This world can be changed, God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, God, that even though it sounds so negative, these verses, Lord, we know how encouraging it really is because this is the identity that you gave us. This is the identity and purpose that you believe in us to be. And Lord, I know we are who we are today. But Father, help us to be all that you created us to be tomorrow. Lord, we thank you that we could always be forgiven, Father, that your love for us never changes. And God, that our hope could be always found in Christ. So Lord, we pray, make us a people that loves living for you. Make us a people that loves you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and being so that we could truly be the salt that makes this world hunger for Christ. Lord, use our lives in such a way, God, that many will find Jesus because we just love you so much. Lord, give us the security in your love. Give us that um, that joy in your love so we can truly live for you and your glory alone. And Father, we pray for our ministry. We pray for the people in our church, God, that you will use them powerfully, God, to change the world as a result. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.